You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, which is part nine, the conclusion of our This Is Family series. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Well, if you would take your notes out and uh, you can follow along. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I want to make a point with what I'm going to do. Uh, Would you stand with me, please? And um, I'm going to ask you to sit down when I say something. I want you to think about this. Who is the greatest influence on your life? Besides Jesus, besides God, who is Jesus, um, besides your spouse, uh, I'm going to mention a few things, and if I say this person, and that was the greatest influence on you, would you go ahead and have a seat? Uh, The first one is a coach. How many of you, your greatest influence in your life was a coach? Go ahead and sit down if that was you. Okay, how about a friend? The greatest influence of your life was a friend. If that's you, go ahead and have a seat. How about a teacher? Teacher, greatest influence on your life, go ahead and sit down. Okay, I think we've lost about three people on those so far. Uh, Here's, how about a boss? Greatest influence on your life. Are you kidding me? (laughs) How about a worker, a co-worker? These say, man, they just had a great influence on me. I saw that, Dustin. <laughs> don't, be a smart, don't be a smarty pants in service. How many, uh, if your mom or your dad or your grandparents was the greatest influence on you in your life? Go ahead and sit down. Wow, it's pretty amazing. See? Oh, who was yours, Josh? Huh? Jason. What a. Uh, besides Jesus, I'm sorry. Did, I think I said that, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can sit down. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to expose you, but uh, well, who, who's yours? Ah, how wonderful. Well, I'm not sure. It's been a few. Okay. Yeah. Okay, kind of, a, kind of a hodgepodge. Well, the, the, the point I wanted you to see, go ahead and have a seat if you would. Here's the thing. Probably 90% of us said it was a parent or a grandparent. And I never want you to forget that the most influential person in our life is usually our parents. And I say that as a reminder to you today to never forget the influence that you can have on your kids, uh, even if they're already gone and they're out of the home. Because I want to conclude our series today just talking about kids. Uh, Parenthood, let's face it, can bring probably the greatest of joys as well as the lowest of lows with a lot of stress mixed in. There's daily irritations, there's discipline questions to deal with, there's teen issues and time demands that basically just begin to kind of just make raising kids a lot of times kind of tough. But I want to throw a few principles out here that I think are important, uh, that a lot of times we don't, we forget sometimes as Christ followers. First of all, there's no guarantees as most parents do their best, but then you have to simply leave it to God and that child. I don't think there's any more guilt-inducing place when it comes to parenthood than the church. Because a lot of people can become kind of prideful if their kids turn out really good, good, good. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been around parents like that? They go to church and their kids turn out great and they kind of, you know, I did it. <laughs> and then there's the other parents that are sitting there that their kids are just off and ricocheting all over the world. And they feel guilty, like, what did I do wrong? How come my kids didn't turn out right? I thought God would take care of them. Well, we talked last week about the importance of understanding uh, Proverbs chapter 22, where it says, 
um, that if you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from it. That is not a promise of, of, of your child rebelling and turning back to God. It is simply a proverb about raising them in the way that they should be and the way that they should go to become who God made for them to be. And so some of us, we sit here with this depth of guilt. And here's what I want to say. I'm sorry. You can do everything right. You can be the best you can be. And it still may not go the way that you want. I've seen a lot of great kids come from poor parenting. I've seen a lot of really bad kids come from great parenting. I've seen homes where they they produced a great kid and a really not-so-good kid, same parents, close in age, but totally different. And sometimes we begin to think, why is that? Well, we have to look no further than the opening part of the Bible, and what do we see? In Genesis chapter 4, we see the two kids that were born first, Cain and Abel. Cain becomes a murderer, and Abel was a worshiper of God. Same parents, close together, totally different lives. And so what I want to remind you as I talk about this today, these are principles that I really believe will begin to help you, and they're important But there is no spiritual wand, there is no spiritual pixie dust that we can just kind of sprinkle around or point at that's going to guarantee that your kids are going to turn out for God. But here's what I do believe. The Bible gives us a wonderful map, a great GPS to begin to follow with principles that will help us. And I want to share those with you today. Uh, the, first, the first principle that's so important is you have to agree to raise your children on biblical principles. You have to agree to raise your kids on biblical principles. Why is that so important? Well, because you want to have the Bible kind of as your family due north, as your family compass, so that you can come to agreement on how to raise your kids. For instance, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily in the Bible, but you have to determine what you're gonna do. Are we gonna feed on demand? Are we gonna schedule the feedings and then feed them only on those times? Do we respond immediately to our child's cry or do we just let it cry itself out? Do we spank or does spanking teach and promote violence in their life? Do we send them to public, to private, or to homeschool? What television programs can they watch? How much technology time are we going to give them? And what kind of technology? At what age do we let them spend the night at a friend's house? Do we expect them to go to church? Or are we going to let them choose when they get older? What age are we going to start to let them date? And the questions go on and on. But if, you, if you're a parent, you understand these are all questions that you had to deal with at some times. And see, when parents begin to disagree about some of these basic issues, it can create tension in the home and then begin to bring confusion to the child growing up when the parents can't come to solid decisions. So, so the philosophy of, of childbearing, if, if you've come from a blended family, you understand that's the number one issue. That blended families have a really difficult time getting on the same page because they've come from different backgrounds and from different family sets. But if you're a Christ follower, we have a, a great parents guide here in the Bible. And I want to challenge you to consider today that even if the Bible, if it's contradictory to what you think, even if it's contradictory to some of those internal feelings that you have, those own sense and intuitions that you bring to it as a person or a parent, and remember, we all have different personalities. But here's the question, will you allow that to be your GPS? Will you allow that, this Bible, this book, to be your guide? Because a lot of people are going to tell you it's outdated. But I'm going to tell you, most of the people that I know that have done pretty well with their families and they follow this book. That doesn't mean that others haven't, but this is a big help. And what it does is it helps to unify the mom and the dad. And one of the first things you're going to see from this Bible is that children are a gift from God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward from him. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
See, children, it doesn't matter where they are, there's, even if they're unplanned, you weren't planning on it. We talked a little bit about this last week. That they should be considered a blessing. They should be welcomed into your home because they're a gift from God. And here's what I don't want you to ever forget, that someday you're going to stand before God. You're not going to stand before God based on how your kids turn out, but you will answer to God. You'll be accountable for what you did with them. How did you raise them? Did you raise them in the nurture and the admonition in the life of Christ? And secondly, you want to impress on your children the importance of obeying and honoring God. Uh, Joshua 24 verse 15 says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, say that with me. That is, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, this is in the book of Joshua. They're just getting ready to go across the Jordan. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And, jo- and, and, and basically, or they've actually already been in the promised land, excuse me. And now uh, Joshua, he's standing up before these people. This is kind of his last altar call to them. And he says, you know what? We've brought you into the promised land. We've taught you about the things of God. Now here, I just want you to reiterate this. I want you to make a decision today because here's the decision that I'm making. Me and my house, we're going to serve God. So he's not only speaking as a leader of the nation, he's speaking as a father of his children. See, have you made that declaration yet, mom and dad? Have you said that our house is going to be committed to the living Christ. See, the, the first priority of, you, of your life as a parent isn't to raise an academian or a Rhodes Scholar, a beauty queen, a multimillionaire, or a star athlete. The primary goal of parents who follow God is to raise their children up to trust Jesus Christ and to make decisions and moral decisions and life decisions based on who he is and the call that he has on your life. I remember when my kids were getting older, uh, we were here in the church, and you, you know, you, you, you kind of go through these times when you want to kind of impress your kids, right? You want to be the cool parent. And so one time we were taking our kids uh, to uh, church camp, and I was driving a van for them, and I got in, and, I th- and I'd heard this phrase, and I kind of tried to use it, and I thought, wow, it's a, it's a cool phrase, and the kids are going to think I'm hip and with it, and so I used it, and one of the kids goes, oh, pastor, quit trying to be cool. You're like, four, you're like 45. <laughs> and I go, ouch, I was only 37. And uh, I, was, I just said, well, you know what? That's not my job. They don't need a cool friend who's an adult. They need a pastor, excuse me, they need a, a parent and a leader. So what do I mean by that's not the way we want to impress our kids, but I do want you to impress some things upon your kids. Well, what do you mean impress? Well, if you look at your notes there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, Moses is again, this is right before he transfers leadership to Joshua, whom we just read about, and he's giving an altar call. The book of Deuteronomy is basically five sermons uh, that he preaches as he gets ready to die, as he's preparing to die and send them into the promised land. And one of the first things he says to them is comes in chapter six. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Now, now that's the challenge that he's given to the parents and to the people. And then he says, and these commandments that I give you, the things that I'm going to speak in the rest of this book, what I have just told you, you are to totally to be upon your, your hearts. See, before it's, on you, before it's in your kids' hearts, it's got to be in your heart. You can't transfer something that you don't have. That's why we say you, you can't really dedicate children unless you're dedicated yourself. And, and that's what Moses is saying here. He says, what I want you to do is to impress them on your children. All of these things that I have told you, all of these things that I'm going to tell you, I want you to talk about them when you sit at home. I want you to talk about them when you walk along the road. I want you to talk about them when they go to bed at night. And I want you to talk about them when you get up. 
I want you to impress these on your kids. What does he want you to impress? He wants you to impress God's word on your children. Uh, The Hebrew word there uh, for impress means to sharpen. That you begin to sharpen your kids as you impress upon them God's word, his teaching. You begin to inculcate them with the words of the scripture. Are you saying that, man, I gotta like do a Bible study with my kids every day? No. But you will sharpen them spiritually. You will build them spiritually as you begin to talk to them about the things of God. And you gotta kind of, you'll do it really with, uh, with your humility, not your perfection. Uh, many parents, I'm talking, as I talk about this right now, there's probably some of you that are going, oh, oh I can't do that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not spiritual enough. If you want me to do spiritual formation for my children, you, may, you might say, oh, I'm underqualified. I don't have any answers to their questions. I don't know enough. I'm not spiritual enough. What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? What if? Here's, let me give you the best advice for that. Say this, I don't know. A lot of you have asked me questions, and here's what I say if I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to work on it. I'm going to find out. I'll figure it out. Don't be afraid to do that with your kids because it shows to them a humility. And, and, and my advice is that for some of you, let not knowing, let being insecure, what, thinking you don't know enough, let that motivate you to start taking some spiritual formation and growth steps for your own life. Our, our church right now, is getting ready to enter into a re-envisioning season. It's already started. There's nothing totally set, but we've already started re-envisioning some things for our church. And, and here's one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is, what if you were more engaged in the life of your children spiritually than the church was? Because a lot of parents, you know, they do, well, let's just take them to youth group. Oh, let's just take them to Sunday school and they're going to get a shot for an hour or two hours a week and then that'll be good enough and then we don't have to engage them because they're getting their shot of God at the church. But I'm beginning to re-envision what can we do to begin to engage moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas so that we're living out this Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it's day by day Night by night, we're speaking into them. And we begin to spiritually assist parents and grandparents as much as we do your kids. Because every one of you stood and said, not every one of you, excuse me, about 95% of you that were standing said, you know, the most influential person in my life was my mom or my dad or my grandparents. And it was the same way first service. So what if you were the greatest influence in the spiritual formation of your kids? And we begin to help you with some of those reasons. Oh, I don't feel spiritual enough. I don't feel this way. I don't feel that way. And we begin to work together. Well, the key is, loved ones, is that you've got to be working on your own relationship with God. And you've got to begin to set the example with them. Here's a question. That's not to make you feel guilty or condemn or anything. But do your kids ever hear you praying besides for dinner? Do your kids ever catch you reading the Bible? Do your kids ever catch you reading a spiritual book? Could be the Bible, could be a book about Jesus? I mean, do do they ever catch you doing spiritual things? And I'm not saying do it for a show, but there's something powerful when your kids begin to say, this is serious to mom and dad, to grandpa and grandma. It isn't just a Sunday happening. See, you begin to talk about this. How do you do that every day, every night, during the day? you can learn to turn a lot of different things into spiritual conversations. Let's say you're watching a TV show, or maybe your kids are, and you happen to be there, and all of a sudden you catch something, and you go, what was that? Turn it off! Well, what if you did it differently? Hey, son, 
I haven't been really paying attention to this show with you, but I'm here with you, and I just heard something. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. What's, what's that saying to you? What's that mean? Something happens in your family. Maybe an extended family. Maybe somebody gets divorced. Or something happens. Somebody dies. Or just something big happens. And you don't really take the time. You've got kids that are old enough to realize that something has happened. They can put words to it. Instead of just, yeah, Uncle Bob died, you know. But what if you say, do you know what happens when you die? You don't have to have a degree to begin to carry on those conversations about life. You can begin to ask and see what they know. And oh, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? That's all right. Say, hey, you know what, son or daughter? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find the answer to that. But you begin to establish these spiritual conversations where your spiritual input is what begins to really matter in their life. Because here's the good news, friends. You don't have to be perfect to raise kids who love God. There are no perfect parents. Here's another news flash. Your kids don't expect you to be perfect either. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this, they know you're not. They're smart. They've seen you. They've listened to you. They've watched you. But they sure like it when you're honest and you're humble. And if you can make a mistake and look at them and say, you know, I overreacted. I shouldn't have said what I said. Would you please forgive me? That goes a long way with your children, being able to listen to you in other areas of life. In our church, we're going to figure out some ways to come and to assist parents to become more confident and to become more engaged in the life of their children. Children are born with a sin nature that needs to be restrained. Now, now before you start throwing stuff at me, it's important that you understand this. Uh, Psalm 51.5, David says it this way. This is after he had sinned greatly. Remember, David is this incredible worshiper of God. He wrote so many psalms. He wrote songs. But he was a warrior, a king. But he fell mightily and he said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother when she conceived me. Now, let me just kind of get into some theological deep weeds just for a moment. There's people that disagree with me, and this is fine, but um, I'm I'm convinced that God doesn't alienate or doesn't um, send to damnation or eternity in hell a, a child, a stillborn an aborted baby, a child that dies really young. I don't believe that his character and his love and the way that he operates is going to uh, allow uh, one of those children to be hellbound. Some people do. I don't. But I do understand that the Bible is clear that we have this sin that courses through our body, that we're born into it, that it has to be dealt with. Have you ever seen that in your kids? No, really. Hey, come on. When they're little, they get up and they tell you, no. (laughs) I was given the responsibility, the big responsibility of taking care of Isaac on my own when he was probably about a year and a year and a half. He started walking when he was really young. So they figured, okay, dad, you know, Papa can probably handle him now. And so they brought him by and everyone was gone. And uh, we're kind of playing around. And in the background, there's this golf tournament going on. And, you know, and, and we set up some guidelines for Isaac. You know, don't touch this. You can play, you know, run on the couch. We don't care, but just don't touch these things. So it was interesting. All of a sudden, and I, I, I didn't take my eyes off him, but he's gone. And I couldn't find him. And all of a sudden, he appears, and he's got one of Trina's precious knickknacks. It was something we said, you can't, don't do, don't do anything with that. Leave it alone. You can play with all this other stuff. Just don't do that. Run on the couch. Jump off the table. Go to the refrigerator. Don't touch those. So all of a sudden, he appears, and guess what? He's got this thing in his hand, and he's looking at it, and he's smiling at me. This devilish smile. (laughs) 
And I had to jump up really quick because I wanted to get it from him. And by the time he dropped it on the hardwood floor and it broke. What was a precious knickknack for Trina was now of precious memory. All the king's horses, all the king's men, all the Elmer's glue, and all the super glue cannot put it together satisfactorily for my wife. And I started thinking, I was watching him, because he was the sweetest little kid. The one thing, the one or two things we say don't touch, he goes after it. It's fragile, kind of expensive. Why is that? It's because even the best of children have this inclination to do what they're not supposed to do. You know why? Because we, every one of us, all of humanity inherited it from Adam and it flows through the grandmother's veins. (laughs) Say, I was doing my job. Now hear me. The failure to understand this is really important. The simple biblical truth is a source of much disagreement between theologians and people raising children today. Many say this, you know what, children are basically good. And a lot of them are, basically. But parents, if you give them the right opportunity, if you give them, if you think that just by giving them praise all the time, by nurturing their little souls and bodies all the time, you are sadly mistaken and you will probably ultimately have problems within if you think that they're just going to learn to choose good on their own. It it didn't work in a perfect environment with Adam and Eve. And then when they had kids, those kids were just about as perfect as could be because they were so close to the perfect creation, and yet one chose to murder and one chose to worship. Uh, Listen, I'm all for building self-esteem. I was a teacher. I'm all for encouraging, but the Bible teaches that even good children are born with a sin nature. Paul said it this way in Romans 17, 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sin nature. Now hear me, and people will disagree with this on me too, and that's all right, but I believe there is good in us. It's not like we're just these evil worms to crawl upon the earth, but we have to recognize the sin strain that courses through us, but don't ever forget that every person, your kids, every person has the image of God imprinted on them. But you have to keep them both together and somewhat in juxtaposition because I'm a firm believer in nature over nurture. Until I adopted two boys, I was a firm believer in nurture over nature. I just literally believed, oh, Gucci, 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 I'm just going to love you into this and that and the other. And then I began to raise these two boys. And the, and, the, and, the, and the things that were in their life that we had to deal with were the very things that their biological parents, because we had a little file dossier on them, were the very things that their parents dealt with. And I go... You know what, I can love them, and I do, but that's not going to change their life. That's a part of it. But ultimately, they are going to have to be trained in godliness. Because see, you, if, if you just think you can just nurture your kids along, you're wrong. They have to be trained in godliness. You go, well, I bring them to church. Oh, that's good. Think about these people in the Bible. Remember Samson? God was speaking to him. God through his spirit, came upon him, and what did he do? He still walked away. How about Judas? He was as close to Jesus as any 12 people could be, and what did he do? Walked away. How about King Saul? One of the brightest, most prominent, significant men in the Bible. God raises him up to be the first king of Israel, and what happens? He goes south. Here's the point, parents and grandparents, Tap into that image of God. Nurture it. Speak to it. Your child is imprinted with it, but don't ever forget that there's this strain of sin that flows through them that has to be dealt with. And then you want to lovingly discipline your children. 
so that they learn to respect God's authority and other authority. Ephesians 6, 1 and 4 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline. That's the, what happens in consequences when they do wrong and the instruction. That's what Moses was talking about. Instruct them that comes from the Lord. You want to lovingly discipline your kids, friends, so that they learn to respect authority. The first step in training your child is to know that the Lord is doing the same for you. And the importance of recognizing the power and the position of our Heavenly Father. This is what Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you want your kids to become wise? Do you want them to grow in the wisdom of God? Then begin to teach them and discipline them. Because if they don't learn to respond to and to respect your authority as their parents, then they're not going to respect the authority of the police. They're not going to respect the authority of teachers, church leaders, and ultimately God himself. What are your, how do your kids treat you now? I told this last service, and I said, don't tell Trina, but she's here, and I'm going to say it. So I'm not talking behind her back. She would tell you this, and matter of fact, she's probably told some of you this. But when we were raising our boys, <clears throat> I was always the police guy. Bad cop, she was good cop. She's a great, great mom, and you know, if the boys, you know, they want some love or sugar, they call her. If they want money, they call me. But, uh, but growing up, <clears throat> one of our points of contention was, uh, you've heard me say this, I was raising men, she was nurturing boys. And it caused stress. Because the easier she got, the harder I'd get. And we finally come to this place where uh, the boys were, one of them was probably, I think, 11 or 12. And, and I always told my boys, I says, you pull her chain, you're pulling mine. And it wasn't unusual for me to leave here to go home to go deal with them. Well, one day she calls me and she's frantic and she's, well, why, do you, why do they always listen to you? And I told her why I thought they did. And she says, well, come home and deal with them. I said, no, no, not today. You do it. I said, you, you understand, honey, what we've been talking about, that the reason this is happening, they don't respect you. They love you, but they don't respect you. Because she'd be, and forgive me, but I'm not telling, we, we have this deal. But, 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 you know, if I disciplined them for two, if I said you're grounded for two days, I'd go home and they'd be playing out in the world. And, and i go, what's happened? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> and I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to say that, but I was, you know, I was pretty strict. And that's what we dealt with. And so finally she goes, um, I said, honey, you're going to have to deal with this. You've got to get those boys to respect you not just me standing with you. And that's when it started for her that her no become her no and her yes became her yes and her statements became her statements and her discipline become her discipline. She's the greatest mom ever and the boys love her like crazy. See, but, but that's what we got to do as parents and both parents have got to come together and understand this because some of your personalities is, oh, oh, so, you know, oh, we can't ground them for an hour. That would be so cruel and unusual punishment. And some of you go, oh, let's ground them for a month. <laughs> They're only three, you know. Um, so so you've you got to learn to do this together, but you've got to agree. I was with my spiritual father a man who I love deeply was the pastor here back in 1960, Jim Plummer. Many of you know of him. We were talking this week, playing golf, and he was almost crying over his dad. We were talking about family. And he says, my dad, you know what? Here's the reason why I can hear God today and follow God. Because when he speaks to me, I move. You know why? Because when my dad said something, I believed it and I trusted it, and he always came through. And see, moms and dads, that's why it's so important that you have that kind of relationship, that when you say yes, your yes is yes. When you say no, it's no to those children. You want to teach your kids to respect authority, and they have to be disciplined. The word discipline simply means to teach 
teach and to train. It's not punishment that's punitive, but it's teaching them that obedience brings blessing and disobedience doesn't. Hebrews 12 says this, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he accepts as a son. That's the hardest thing in the Bible probably to hear, isn't it? That you show your love by discipline. And the antithesis of that would be you're not being a really loving parent if you don't discipline them. You know why? Because ultimately you're, you're messing with their future. See, the pain of discipline is less than the pain of consequences. See, when you begin uh, to implement logical conclusions and consequences, that's what a parent does. Let's say your children just insults one of their siblings. I mean, just calls them a name. And you just go, oh, oh Bobby, don't do that. Or here's the one that Trina used to get over too. She'd always say, now go over here to, to, to Jamie and tell him you're sorry, Joel. I go, why are you doing that? He's not sorry, so don't tell him to do it. <laughs> because why do something that you're not feeling? Let's do something to change that. So you called him a really bad name. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write him a note that expresses your sorry and write three things of how good he really is. I want you to go think about that. And when you're ready to do it, let's talk about it. And then, see, there's consequences that they have to learn from. Uh, Dr. Kevin Lehman, who's a, a Christian psychologist and family practitioner, he teaches what he calls reality discipline. And he says, the best discipline for older children is to let them face the consequences of their behavior. Don't try to protect them all the time from their own behavior. How many parents do that? Oh, I'm going to protect them. When I was a school teacher, I was always amazed at these kids. They wouldn't do their homework, or they wouldn't do this, or they wouldn't do that, and they'd come and blame me. And, and, and this nurturing thing, when I was a teacher, my goal was to make every student a C-plus student or better. I was a really popular teacher with the kids until I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take every D and F student, I'm going to make them stay in in the recess and do their homework, and I'll help them. They started hating me. And you know what was interesting? It didn't change anything about their work. And I realized that's their parents' job. I do what I could do. And see, you can't nurture all of this stuff out of your kids. Discipline, loved ones, becomes very, very important. Uh, someone said this to me, and it stuck with me for years. It's their tears now or your tears later. See, when it comes to discipline, let me just give you three quick things. And we could go, there's a lot we could do with this, but I gotta be done. Be clear. Be clear with the expectations. Calmly, be calm. This is the hardest one for most of us, isn't it? But be calm. Because when you get fried, when you get fired up, when you start screaming, when you start going ballistic, guess what? They are now in control. And you're saying things you don't mean, and you're saying things you don't even know what you're saying, and you're just all over the map. Right? I, I'm telling you this because I've been there, done that. You know what changed? You know what's really powerful? Is when you just go, this is acceptable, this is not. We're done. You make the choice. Now, obviously, there's, you know, that's age appropriate, but there's something very powerful when you let these kids experience the consequences of their bad decisions. Stay calm and then be consistent because this can be pro tro uh, problematic too. What was wrong today is going to be wrong tomorrow. What was wrong yesterday is going to be wrong today. How many times your kids just beat you down? You told them to go do their bedroom, go make their bed, and they won't, they won't, they won't. And you just finally go, ah, forget it. What does that tell them? I can wear them down. Some of you have 17 kids in your home, and boy, it's no wonder you're worn down. But here's the deal. You've got to be consistent, and you've got to stand and be strong. Because you know what? That's what Jesus does to us. How many of us have experienced consequences? Jesus said, don't do that or do this, and you didn't or you did, and then there's consequences, and you go, oh, my word. 
I'm going to learn to obey and to respond and to respect God's word. It's the same with our kids. Last one, maintain a marriage-centered home. Marriage, uh, Ephesians 5 tells us that, that, that the marriage reflects the love that God has for us. And sometimes in our marriages, we forget that. We forget that how you love your spouse really teaches your kids about God's love. Because that's what Jesus said. We love because he first loved us. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. When your kids, when your kids begin to see your husband loving your wife like Jesus does, they go, whoa, that's amazing. See, Jesus has to be the hub of the home, friends. But today I see more and more homes that revolve around the kids. Children need attention. I I get that. Children need nurturing and encouragement. I give that. But I see so many parents who go to the stream, the extreme, and they begin to smother their parents, their kids. And now they have a term for it called helicopter parents that just hover over. Oh, sorry, I can't go to church this week or this month or this year because my kids got this, that, and the other. And you know me. I don't talk about church attendance. I've never done a talk on it. But here's the deal. If your kids are sucking you away from the very thing that you want them to be a part of and that you believe can change their lives, not only for now and make it better for now, but for eternity, why why would you disband this place? or any church, I'm not just talking about Creekside. Why would you remove them from the spiritual development? And you've heard me say this before too, that listen, when my kids did sports, um, I had to work here so I couldn't take them on a Sunday, but I believe you should go with them. But but if it takes you every Sunday, you might want to reconsider that because it's so easy for people to get out of the habit and pretty soon, oh, I don't want to go back. And what are you teaching your children? That being a sports star, being a a debater, whatever it is they do on Sunday is more important than what they're doing here. But when you are gone, here's what I believe is important, is that you go there, you support them, because extracurricular things do teach kids a lot of important lessons. But you set yourself to to be one of those ministering agents to the parents. You're going to be there with them for a weekend Show your kids how to minister to other people and other parents. See, the child-centered home is unhealthy for children and the marriage because they will leave your child ill-prepared for the marriage because they'll go into a marriage believing everything evolves around them. And imagine when you get two people who act like that. Often if the, ch- if the child is in the center of the home, the couples, they begin to neglect each other and then seeds of discontent become sown as they're, uh, as it, and it can lead into other issues. And here's the biggest is when the children end up leaving home, parents look at each other and they go, who are you? What have we got in common? So I told you back when we were in Manteca, I told Trina, we would go out at least twice a month. Two things, we could not talk about the children. And we always said this, don't forget, there's gonna come a time when they're gone. What have we got? You say, well, do you have any Bible verse for this? Well, I think I do. Remember the story in Genesis 22 of Abraham, God's chosen man, the father of our faith. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to name him Isaac. He's going to be the father. He's going to, he's going to come through your loins. He's going to be your best son, your favorite son. It's like he's your only son. And, and, and God miraculously provides him. And what happens? One day, God does the unthinkable. He says, I want you to take, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah because you're going to sacrifice. See, the the reason that is so deplorable, not just because it's child sacrifice, but because God was destroying nations around those people because they were doing it. And God made it clear that's not to happen. But for whatever reason, it says that Abraham got up. We read later in Hebrews that he said, even if I kill this kid, God's going to resurrect him. And he'd never seen a resurrection before. 
That's how much he trusted God. But scholars believe the reason that God said that is because this son, this only son, this son of the miraculous was kind of like Abraham's God now. And God says, I'm going to extract that from you. So what does he do? He takes him up on the hillside. He gets his two guys. They go to the mountain. And he turns to his guys that were helping him carry the wood and everything for the sacrifice. And he says, stay here, me and the boy, we're going to go up and worship. And he goes up there, he gets it ready. He gets ready to kill his son, to sacrifice him. And all of a sudden, God stops him. You know what God says in that passage? He says, I wanted to test your heart, to know what was in your heart. See, hear me, loved ones. God doesn't want your kids to become little God's, and where your orbit is always around them. Love them, take care of them, bless them, but don't let them become the center of your universe. That's reserved for Jesus and your mate, then your kids. Put your mate's needs above your children. There was one counselor who told the story of this frustrated mother who I uh, should complain. They had one son that was 12 years old, and she was never able to fix her husband one of his favorite meals, which was spaghetti, because the 12-year-old kid didn't like it. I know that's kind of like, oh, give me a break. But some families operate differently, so the dad never had spaghetti, and she was really frustrated because she wanted to make some other meals for her dad. But this boy only liked three or four meals, so by the time he's 12, that's all he would accept. So the counselor was real smart and said, well, here, let me just give you a really simple solution. Tomorrow, make spaghetti and meatballs for your husband, set the table, but leave his plate off. She goes, he's going to go crazy. Okay. Let him go. So she did it. He went in there. He didn't see his, his place setting, saw moms and dads. He goes, hey, what's going on here? Mom goes, sorry, I know you don't like spaghetti, but I made it for your dad tonight, so you're not going to eat. So he walks over to the stove, and he lifts the lid, and he goes, you know, Mom, that smells pretty good. I think I can eat tonight. <laughs> see, it's amazing what happens when you don't let your kids run your home. You begin to stand up and you love them, and you disciple them, and you discipline them, and you watch over them. And moms and dads, you begin to engage and demonstrate spiritual involvement. Let them see that Jesus Christ is more than just going to church on a Sunday. Let them hear you pray. Let them see you read the Bible. Let them talk. Let them hear you and your spouse talk about Jesus together and the dreams you have for your family. That will reinforce your children. That will unite your marriage, and it will honor Jesus Christ. Let's stand, please. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment and just want to give people kind of a sense of privacy and I would never even try and think that I was ever a perfect parent that wasn't I'm not but I gave it my best and I felt like just getting ready for this morning that I want to celebrate with you that say man my kids are good they're doing great they're loving God they're you know, they're just, they're doing good. I want to celebrate that. But there's also some of us here today that would go, you know, I got some kids that are wayward, whether they're young or whether they're adults. And I want to pray for you today that God would give you the wisdom to really have tough love or have love that's tough to be able to reach them and never to not pray for them and believe that God can do something in their lives. Because there comes times, and I'm in one of those now where I think, man, can God do what I need him to do? And here's what I know, yes, yes. But I gotta step back. And I don't want anyone today leaving guilty or, oh, I'm bad, I haven't done the right. Listen, 
you've heard me say this too. Once a, once a person becomes an adult, they can't blame anybody anymore. If you've got kids blaming you, tell them, sorry, I made a mistake. Build a bridge, get on over it. Don't let anybody hold you hostage that way. If you're here today, and just, would you just bow your heads if you would and give people a sense of privacy. If you're here today and you say, you know, I got some kids or a kid or a child or an adult child that's just not where I want them to be, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. And just say, well, that's, you know, okay, thanks, friend. Yeah, I yeah, see you. Thanks, friend. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I see your hands. Yeah, thank you, friend. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, I saw that. Yeah, got a lot of us here. Jesus comes today, hear me, loved ones, to raise and relieve and remove condemnation. You continue to pray. You continue to believe and you continue to love. But release them to the care of God. And there's others of you that kids are doing great. I want to celebrate and pray over them that they would continue in that direction because you are leading them as a mama and a daddy or a single parent. So Father, we come now, we just as we get ready to kind of put a period on this series and this time. There's nothing more exhilarating than when our kids are doing good and they're kidding in the right ways. And there's nothing more difficult than when they're kidding in the wrong ways. And, uh, so Lord, I pray for those people today. They have great hope, they have great ambitions. They have great desires for their kids, first and foremost, to follow you. To make good decisions that will be good for their life. They feel like they've done well. They feel like they've done everything they can. But all they can do now, all we can do now, Lord, is we just pray and beseech you and say, Lord, you love them more than we do. So would you take them and would you lead them? And then would you teach us as parents how to continue to parent them in this kind of a situation. So I pray, Lord, that for every parent here today that has kids in that area. And Lord, I am so proud of so many of our parents here that and kids are doing well and great moving forward. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to raise up this next generation, that they would be difference makers, not only in their home, in their schools, but Lord, in their community and into this world, that Lord, someday we can look back and say, we prayed for that and we saw it come. And then Lord, help our church to partner with parents in this place and outside there to re-envision, Lord, the family and what it can become to look like your family, Lord. So I thank you, Lord, for these people. As they go today, let them lift their head, let them speak their prayers and give them great trust in you. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.